The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Well done, everybody. You've almost made it to Friday. I only consider you've made it once the Friday's done. But uh, happy Friday. It's Squawkbox. Got a really busy day for you, including massive headlines, including the following. Amazon missing revenue forecast for the first time in three years as the e-commerce giant faces tough pandemic comparisons and warns the slower growth will continue. Makeup and perfume sales leading L'Oréal to a second quarter sales beat with revenue rising more than 30% as consumers venture out of lockdown. We're going to hear from the new CEO, uh, Nicolas Hieronymus at 1300 CET. Building on strong prices, the Swiss materials group Holcim uh, posting record results for the first half and it sees margin increases across all regions. We will catch up with the CEO a little later here on Squawk Box. Plus the exchange operator Euronext posts a more than 5% rise in second quarter net income amid a listings boom. We will speak to the chairman and the CEO Stefan Bujna, that's at 7.45 CET. Plus, the Italian banking group Unicredit holding exclusive talks to buy Banco Monte de Paschi in a deal brokered by Rome. The first major move for the new CEO, Andrea Orsel. running my eye down the number uh, of headlines on BNP Paribas, which has reported a second quarter net income of just under 3 billion euros. That is up almost 27% compared with the same period last year and an 18% gain compared to the second quarter in 2019 prior to the pandemic. Overall revenue was also modestly higher, coming in at around 12 billion euros. Well, Charlotte caught up with the CFO Lars Machinel and asked where the growth came from last quarter. The rebound is locked in and we are well positioned uh, to accelerate growth. And if you look at it, indeed, the revenues are up both versus 2020, which was a peculiar year, if I can say, and also versus 2019. As such, the gross operating income, revenues minus cost, they are up 22% compared to 2019. And as such, above pre-pandemic levels, and driven by cost control, our platforms, and market share gains. So basically, 2021 clocks in at a historic high. In the first six months of 2021, bottom line is 300 million above 2019. So we have a flying start for the next plan. And if you look rapidly in our three businesses, domestic markets, revenues up 10% on the back of increasing volumes and fee generated. On IFS, we saw solid activity, for example, Bank of the West. Um, and on CIB, we saw a very good level of activity following the, uh, following the exceptional performance in 2020. And the bottom line is up 3%. Looking at the details of your divisions that you just went through quickly, the one that caught my attention is domestic markets, but one that's always been a little bit more difficult. And here you mentioned in particular rebounding networks, particularly in France. So can you drill in there? where the performance came from in that specific division? Sure. If, if you look at it, well, of course, there is a pickup in the economy. If you look at the volume of car transactions, of corporate transactions, of digital transactions, they are really up. And so that basically means that 
volumes are up, credits are up, commissions are up, and all that basically fuels that. And it's in the plane activity, but also, and in particularly in the specialized services. If you look at our car fleet management, Arval and the likes, they really have very strong activity. Let's talk about Siemens uh, Health and Ears, and we'll come back to BNP Paribas a little bit later on in the program. And I know we're going to talk some more about the banks because we've also got Unicredit lined up. But Siemens Health and Ears um, delivering another strong set of numbers here. And I think by my reckoning, this is the third occasion this year when they've revised up their guidance. So the message coming through from uh, Siemens Health and Ears, we now see fully comparable revenue growth of 17 to 19% compared to the previously lifted guidance back in May of 14 to 17%. The earnings per share coming in at 0.35 euros, vis the uh, 0.27 euros uh, a year earlier. Um, I could take you through the numbers in more detail, but I think perhaps more useful as I just note the 5 billion euro group revenue line on Q3. If I get out to Bernd Montag, the CEO of Siemens Health and Ears, Bern, great to have you back with us on the program here. So another opportunity to lift your guidance. But I know that there is a little bit of caution on the fourth quarter when you talk about perhaps some of the COVID-related business lines beginning to slow. Just help us understand what your expectation is. Yeah, thank you for, for the question and thank you for having me. I mean, first of all, this has been a historic quarter uh, for us, I mean, this was also the quarter in which we um, clo- uh, in which we closed the um, transformative acquisition um, of Marion. Oops, sorry. Um, and the team really delivered um, despite the pandemic and this on top effort and incredible quarter with 39% growth. But coming back to your question. Uh, regarding the outlook for for the remainder of the year, yes, as as uh, we said, we had uh, peak revenues of antigen testing in in the in the past quarter, and it's maybe good news for societies that we don't need them as much anymore. On the other hand, we will see a um, strong um, rebound now of U.S. revenues. Um, and um, and a normalization of of our business to um, let's say the pre-pandemic logic, which I guess then plays to uh, other parts of the business like the medical imaging space. Can you just talk to us a little bit about what you're seeing there? Because as I look at the COVID cases still here in the UK, the hospitals are still finding it difficult to get back to business as was and the treatment of other diseases? Well, I, I see um, maybe two answers here. On the one hand, we, I see on globally that um, healthcare providers have found very well ways to cope with non-COVID-related um, healthcare. Um, and, and we see activities more or less um, on pre-pandemic le- um, levels worldwide. The pandemic, though, has changed how people buy. We saw a lot of demand from the public sector, especially in Europe in the last um, nine months, while the U.S., which is of more private nature in healthcare, was a bit muted. 
um, when it comes to making investment decisions. And now we see a strong rebound of the U.S. market in imaging, but also in, in the new segment variant, uh, which will carry our growth moving forward. Uh, Bernd, good morning to you, sir. Um, there was a whole a very awkward conversation for many parties about IP waivers uh, as regards some of the technology regarding specifically the pharmaceuticals, the drugs themselves, which are being used to uh, combat COVID in the pandemic as well. But it was an awkward conversation for the industry as well. Uh, and it brought the public sector, private sector partnership to a, uh, an, an awkward stage at one point. I just wondered if you wanted to chip in about uh, the role uh, of IP waivers and actually whether te- new technologies whether it be in your area or indeed the uh, pharmaceutical area as well, uh, whether is the role of that going forward amidst this pandemic? Yeah, I'm maybe not the best person to answer this one, yeah, because in our industry, in, 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 uh, we, are, we are not so much in an IP game. Yeah, We are in a first-to-market game and we have patent exchange agreements with, with, with all major competitors. Yeah, So the business model... In, in our part of healthcare is very different from the one in pharma. Yeah, so um, from that point of view, this is not a topic we are particularly concerned with. Yeah, um, and um, and that's why I I don't think I should comment on this one. Yeah. I, I, th- I think you are a, a very interested voice on this as well, Ben. I wouldn't put yourself down on that one as well. Uh, but the reason I ask it is because I was speaking to Pascal Sorio yesterday about the uh, the flack that he has come in for, for actually, despite the fact that they're producing vast amounts of COVID drugs at cost as well. Uh, and I was just basically thinking about the public-private relationship going forward, because, of course, you do need public sector support uh, in order to sell your products to various health systems around the world. But at the same time, of course, uh, they are thinking about the common good and, and, and about the profitability of this sector as well. Is profit under threat because of the public relationship with companies such as yourself? No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say though. So. I mean, I think what the pandemic has shown, yeah, and I like what you said about public-private partnership in a larger sense is yeah, that, that um, I mean, uh, that societies have understood that a functioning healthcare system is not a luxury, it's not a cost factor, but it is um, an essential part um, of um, of a competitive infrastructure and of welfare. Yeah, and teaming up with governments, yeah, of for solving these challenges, as we did, by the way, with the antigen testing, yeah, which was mainly uh, for where the mainly the public was our customer, um, is what we have done. Um, and new models of collaborations are certainly more and more coming. And I'm, I'm very, very much um, 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 grateful for that development. Bernd, a real pleasure catching up with you this morning. Uh, best of luck with the coming quarter and thanks for giving us your time. Bernd Montag, the CEO of Siemens Health and Ears, which has lifted its guidance uh, going forward. Uh, let's catch up on a new credit. I said we'd take another look at this. Um, There are some positive lines here in the Unicredit story, and I think it rounds out what has been, by and large, with one or two notable exceptions, obviously, um, a stronger period for the European banking space. So we've got a net fee income coming through on the second quarter of 1.67 billion euros. That was better than the company's own guidance at 1.62 billion. The CET1 ratio uh, fully loaded end of June 15.5%. So uh, strong capital levels. The uh, group giving us a full year total revenue line 
in line with the previous guidance of circa 17.1 billion, underlying net profit in at 1.1 billion. And I know the line you all want me to take a look at, that's around the NPL and the non-performing exposure. Well, the number continues to be, I think, high by longer term historical standards. The gross non-performing exposure ratio at the end of June, 4.7%. But when you look at the net loan write down, 360 million euro as against 647 million that was provided in previous guidance, which raises a couple of questions. Have some of those exposures now gone the other side of the ledger and those clients and customers are beginning to pay back what they owe? Or are the uh, is the company at this stage just slowing the pace at which it's writing those off because it thinks that they will come on side again? Obviously not clear from the just plain numbers report that we've got this morning. But it is something that I think the markets will continue to look at as they finally see a lot of these uh, Eurozone banks dealing with these uh, 10-year-old plus uh, legacies of uh, NPLs. The uh, group just giving us a line on uh, net profit, full year 21, uh, expected to be above 3 billion euros with the underlying cost of risk guidance improved to below 40 basis points. Uh, Just on the Unicredit story, the company has announced it is in exclusive talks with the Italian government over a tie-up with the state-owned lender Monte de Paschi. Rome has uh, long uh, obviously signalled Unicredit is the ideal buyer for MPS, uh, but the deal was thrown into doubt earlier this month after the Unicredit boss Andrea Orsell laid out a strict set of acquisition conditions On Thursday, Orsell, however, said the bank had signed a term sheet with the Italian Treasury to buy out parts of MPS. A deal could be announced by September, Steve. You and I are going to get an easy day today after the massive, I think we had 15 CEOs on the the shows yesterday, but but the producers just brutal today. I mean, okay, have a look at this. This, this, this. this is what I thought we were going to have a nice, easy Friday, big Thursday. We can relax a little bit. We've already spoken to Lars Machinel. We spoke to Bernd Montag. We're coming up after the break on this earnings. I mean, this is our day. Uh, Marco Alvera, uh, Jean-Pascal Tricot will join us at 7.30 Central European time. Uh, Stefan Bougner a couple of minutes later than that. Katie Murray, CFO of NatWest. What is the government doing? Well, what it's doing is selling its uh, stake uh, at a big loss as well. Jan Jenisch from Holsim, newly branded Holsim as well. Francesco Straci from Enel, uh, 8.30 CET. And then your interview with John Dacey, always a nice chat, that one, CFO of Swiss Re. Look, what my, my problem then is that, well, obviously, then these three are on street signs. But kind of, I, I, even though we'll be exhausted by then, I kind of feel like we, we kind of, can we not move a couple of moments? No, anyway. Uh, Luca de Mayers, yeah, right now, my street signs colleagues will get upset with me. Uh, Stefan Sturm of Fresenius, uh, and then Benoit Coquart. Uh, the CEO of Lagon later on as well. So it's absolutely huge day once again. And after that, we can relax then as well. But uh, coming up on the show, I already mentioned Slam. Now, they've posted a jumping quarterly revenue uh, and dividend policy is confirmed as well. We're going to speak to this gentleman, Marco Alvera, coming up next. And I'll tell you what, he's also got a new book out uh, talking about hydrogen as well. I've got it on my desk, actually, as well. Anyway, as, uh, as Jeff's about to tell you, it's been a big week. Yeah, just... Uh... A reminder to our audience, if you want to catch up on any of the conversations that we've had, you can do that, of course, by 
One, taking a look at the website, and two, just visiting the Squawk Box podcast. It's a very neat summary of the kind of earnings week we've had. We'll be right back, everybody. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Right, Italian energy infrastructure firm SNAM has confirmed its guidance and dividend policy for 2021 as adjusted net profit rises 10% in the first half of the year. I'm going to show you, ladies and gentlemen, something that's going to make you jealous now. Not necessarily Marco Alvera, who is a lovely man in himself as well, CEO of SNAM, <laughs> but look where he is. Look at that. That's just beautiful behind What a lovely morning, Marco. You are so lucky to be where you are. How are you, sir? I had to share this with you. I'm in Rome. It's a beautiful day. I'm good. Uh, we had in, announced good results yesterday and the book's coming out, so it's all looking good now. Yeah, I'll come to the book in a few moments' time, actually, because I, I actually got a sneak preview on my desk as we speak. So that's very nice of your team to send me one of those, Marco. But um, look, in terms of the numbers as well, uh, are, are you happy with the figures today? We're happy. It was a good uh, first half. Uh, net income was up. But the most important figure for us is investments. And you know, we're a company that has to deploy the capital, has to get projects done. It's the 14th year in a row that we deliver our investment program on time, on budget. It's not always easy in a, such a volatile market, but to actually get boots on the ground and, and, and kind of the infrastructure build, that's what we're all about. That's what we've delivered on. Okay, that's fantastic. If I could just ask you to look at the camera, I don't know if you've got a monitor, which is slightly, that's where we want you, sir. Thank you very much indeed. When we cut it up later on, we want to see your full face, sir. Uh, right. In, in terms of, though, uh, the progress you're making, look, we know what Prime Minister Draghi is trying to do. We know the vast amount of money that Italy has been given. And of course, Italy, the state of, is a huge shareholder in SNAM as well, the biggest shareholder by a very long margin as well. Are you seeing progress coming through on the coronavirus recovery uh, plan? And, it, and it's coming via SNAM into the economy for infrastructure spending, sir? Yes, we, we think that every dollar we invest, there's a $3 multiplier on the GDP. So the government is very supportive of our investment program. Uh, we're talking to a lot of uh, people in government about how to simplify and streamline the approvals processes. And, and hopefully all the reforms that are being written and, and enacted and, and passed through parliament will really enable us to boost and, and even accelerate the CapEx. That's what it's all about at the end of the day. Spending money in many parts of Italy that uh, don't have other means of really investing and building that infrastructure. It's the same thing that uh, the U.S. Uh, federal government's trying to do there, and it's the same thing that Draghi's trying to do here, and there's a big investment program out there. Marco, I just want to f- flesh out the picture a little bit for, for some of our audience who may not be so familiar with SNAM and your pipeline business and the role that you hope to play in the uh, switch to renewables and alternative energies. I wonder if you could just spend a moment for us as we think about this approaching COP meeting. Uh, if you spend a moment for us uh, just explaining how you feel that SNAM can capitalise on these growing trends towards decarbonization targets? Thank you very much. So uh, we are uh, one of the world's largest infrastructure companies. That means we transport gas via pipelines and we store gas underground in gas storages all over Europe, really, and now in the Middle East. When it comes to the energy transition, 2021 is going to go down 
as a year when it kind of all came together, not only because the U.S. is back in the Paris Agreement, but because all the big agencies, the IEA, um, a lot of research people, um, they all agree now that we will need to get to net zero, to, to zero emissions. We will need to get electricity up significantly. Now it's 20% of the mix. It needs to go up to 50% of the mix. Today, electricity is 20. Then you have oil, coal, and gas making up the remaining 80%. In a fully decarbonized environment, you have electricity at 50, and then you'll have hydrogen at 25 and biofuels at 25, more or less. It can be some, some percentages off, but that's a big picture. Now, when it comes to the hydrogen and the biofuels, the biogas, the biomethane, they will run in pipelines. So our job is to convert the gas pipelines to hydrogen and to biogas pipelines, which are 100% sustainable. That's what we're doing. Right now, if you uh, turn on your heater in, in Italy, the gas is flowing from Russia uh, all the way from Siberia in pipelines. Tomorrow, we will have hydrogen produced in North Africa, in the North Sea, with solar and wind resources. And that hydrogen can travel through the existing pipeline. So we've been the first in the world to experiment different percentages of blending up to 100% of hydrogen tested in existing pipes and and it works so that's an energy transition using the infrastructure we have and the the very good news is that this new renewable energy will cost less than existing fossil fuel energy which is real breakthrough and can I ask you, I mean, we, we, we talk a lot about the, the different industries that are trying to move down this road and obviously will will either be existing customers of yours or potentially could be customers going forward. But one area where it still troubles me is, is where um, hydrogen's opportunity is in transportation, because there does seem to be this uh, competition between EVs and um, uh, fuel cell and hydrogen. And I'm not clear at this stage who wins. It, it feels like EV has pulled ahead here. But do you see yourselves having a role in that industry? We have a mobility division. Uh, we've announced the day before yesterday with Fincantieri, the world's first hydrogen ship. So when it comes to planes, ships, long-distance trains, and big trucks, it's going to be hydrogen. There's a consensus there. Airbus, the shipbuilders, Fincantieri and, and others, there's just no way you can put all that energy, heavy load, long distance uh, energy into a battery. It's just too heavy. When it comes to light vehicles and cars, I think the good news is that it doesn't really matter because they're both electric solutions. Whether in 10, 15, 20 years time, a battery costs less than a fuel cell, no one knows. But the good news is the the, the vehicle is the same. Marco. It's an electric vehicle. Yeah, I, I, I've got to go, but I just want to ask one quick question because I've got another uh, CEO waiting in the wings as well. Solar and wind power are not constant. Batteries and other storage systems are limited as well. Are we spending too much money on alternatives to hydrogen that actually just aren't going to be part of the major solution? I've got about a minute left, Marco. The, the beauty of hydrogen is that you can store it easily. You can transport it easily. So, look, I think we need all hands on deck. The challenge is, is great. Um, Goldman Sachs thinks there's $56 trillion of energy infrastructure needed to get to net zero. A big chunk of that is going to be in batteries. I think a bigger chunk than we expect, as you're hinting at, is going to be in the form of, of power to gas and hydrogen storage. So I don't want to say this is not the time to say let's 
compete and give up on some technologies. Let's put everything we have at work and the market's going to figure out what the best solution is. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.